Welcome to Mindset Meets Mastery with Arlene Gale. We're talking about the stories we tell ourselves, the mindsets, myths, and misinformation that can hold us back, and then turning our focus to action steps that bring about success mastery in business and life. The goals are to define success on our own terms and to master that success without excuses or apologies. Hello, everybody. Welcome, 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 welcome to today's episode of Mindset Meets Mastery with Arlene Gale. So today we're going to have some fun and we're, we're going to talk about some myths and mindsets, but kind of in a, a different way than we usually do. You know, here in the Northern Hemisphere, the temperatures are getting cooler. There are actually some places here in the United States that have already started getting snow. I'm freezing today, and it was like 90 yesterday. So it's just that time of year where the leaves are starting to show off their fall colors, which means that, you know, in some places, the leaves are turning red and beautiful shades of yellow and orange. Where I am, we know it's fall when the leaves turn brown and then fall to the ground. That's pretty much the definition of fall around here. But there are other things that start to happen this time of year. We start to talk about and focus on ghosts and goblins and mummies and the undead and spooky movies come out. And there are stories that start getting told about hauntings and graveyards and the pictures of gravestones and images on them. Skeletons start to show up in our lives in creepy ways. Yeah, those are the things that help us to understand that it's Halloween time, or also known as All, Halloween, All Hallows' Eve, which is where some of our traditions come from. But there are other traditions for this time of year in other co- countries around the world, such as Dia de los Muertos. So we're going to talk today to my special guest and friend, Tui Snyder, because she knows about grave sites and graveyards and haunted places, because she likes to hang out there. I'm just saying that's the kind of girl she is. So we're going to learn from Tui, but let me tell you a little bit about her first. Tui is an author. She's a speaker and researcher specializing in overlooked history, cemetery symbolism, and haunted lore. Tui has worn a lot of hats in her life, literally, and she's especially fond of her berets, which she looks fabulous in. Her writing and photography have been featured in numerous outlets, including Coast to Coast AM, WFAA-TV, which is a huge outlet here in North Texas, Life Hacks, Authentic Texas, Culture of Weird, Lone Star Literary Life, and many, many other outlets and media. Tui loves giving presentations and occasionally teaches classes based on her books. Some of her best-selling books include Paranormal Texas, your travel guide to haunted places near Dallas and Fort Worth, Texas. Another one is Understanding Cemetery Symbols, a field guide for historic graveyards, messages from the dead. Yet another best-selling book of Tui's is Graveyard Goods, the meaning of stones, coins, seashells, and other things in historic cemeteries. And her newest book, which I just love, is Six Feet Under Texas, Unique, Famous, and Historic 
graves in the Lone Star State. So see, I told you this, Tui Snyder, help me welcome her, loves to hang out in these places. Tui, hi, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great, Arlene. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, you are very welcome. So you guys, just just look at Tui. She's beautiful. She's smart. Who would think that you'd find this young lady hanging out in graveyards? So Tui, what on earth possessed you, no pun intended, haha, to decide that graveyards was a place you wanted to hang out and study? Well, I mean, I have loved cemeteries and burial grounds since I was a little kid. I actually, when I was nine years old, I was going to Girl Scouts. This creepy janitor tried to kidnap my friend and I, and we escaped by running through the local cemetery, which was an old cemetery. And we'd played there so often that we knew how to zigzag through it, and he could not catch us. So, I mean, is going back to the age of nine, I've had positive associations with cemeteries. I'd like to, one thing that's kind of fun, and a, a bit of fun trivia that I can arm everybody with as they're munching candy with their friends and family or watching the next scary movie or whatever, you know, whatever your Halloween traditions may be, is to let you know that technically there is a difference between a graveyard and a cemetery. Although, you know, we, I use the words interchangeably and usually when I want to have the connotation of spookiness, I'll say graveyard because that just sounds spookier. It does sound spookier, but what's the difference? I didn't know there was a difference either. Yeah, so that, I mean, if you want to be persnickety or you're watching a movie, you know, sometimes it's fun to be like, they got it wrong. I don't know. You know, you're watching, <laughs> why did they have me look at the script? But uh, yeah, so a graveyard is a burial ground near a church, affiliated with a church. So you got the church and then right next to it, I'm sure lots of us, we've seen this right next to the church, there's a burial ground. That's a graveyard. You could also call it a cemetery. Now, cemeteries... It's kind of like how, you know, you could call um, a rectangle, a, a square, a rectangle, but you can't call a rectangle a square. So right. you, can call, you can call the graveyard, you can call it a cemetery, it's still within bounds, I guess. Although hmm. when it's next to the church, really, it's a graveyard. Now, a cemetery is land that has been set aside and not necessarily affiliated with one particular church, usually out of town. And that's a burial ground on its own. It's not affiliated with one church. And uh, that word cemetery didn't was not in use until this is another fun fact for when you're watching movies. Um, the word cemetery didn't come into use until the Victorian era, so hmm. the 1800s, late 1800s. Um, and it means it comes from a Greek word, koimetrium, which means sleeping place. And the Victorians were really into using euphemisms for sleep, uh, for you know death. They use the euphemism of sleep to talk about death mm-hmm. and so to make it seem more gentle. So when you're watching an old movie that's set in, you know, the Middle Ages and they're talking about a cemetery, they, that's wrong. They would actually be saying graveyard, churchyard, something like that, burial ground. So it's just one of those a, a little fun with words if anyone hmm. out there likes to pay attention to the vocabulary. Well, and, you know, we're both book writers, so that that's stuff that we kind of pay attention to. So... If it's like a military place where they bury people, that's a cemetery? Yeah, it'd be a cemetery. And, uh-huh. you know, where they, a place where they bury state heroes, that's a cemetery. Yeah, it's Arlington National Cemetery, not Arlington National Graveyard. Okay, uh, so a graveyard is associated with the church. Yeah. That's kind of spooky. 
I think that's one reason it is so spooky because it does have, you know how words, they just acquire a certain connotation and graveyard definitely has that spooky side to it. I think that's because there are so many legends about haunted churchyards. There's, there's the people might've been walking by and then I know of so many uh, where there's a ghost that hangs out by the church, you know, in, in different places mm. that I visited. So. Interesting. So I have a question for you because All right. In reading your stuff, I love this saying, I used to write fiction, but then I moved to Texas. <laughs> Explain that to us, girl. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, I had, I've been writing my whole life. I, my first story when I was nine years old, the protagonist was a hard-boiled egg. And I, I had a series, and it was, like, popular in my school. So I just got it in my head, like, wow, they like these? I'm just going to, I'm going to write them. You know, I'm going to grow up and write about hard-boiled eggs. Anyway. Um, that never happened, obviously, <laughs> but I, I wrote a lot of fiction, and uh, in 2009, I fell in love with a Texan, and I moved down here because I was a little more portable than he was. Uh, he, you know, when you write, you can write anywhere, but when you have right. a business, brick and mortar, well, okay. Yeah. So I came down here, and oh my gosh, Tex is, I have lived all over the world. I, I lived and worked in Belgium and Italy. I've spent time in England. I've traveled a lot. And I swear, the first few times I flew down to visit Larry, I was thinking my passport was going to get stamped. You know, I'm like, oh, wait, uh, duh. But you know, it just, I love Texas. Like you get off the plane and like it has a flavor to the state. You see Absolutely. people, it's got such an iconic shape. You see, I mean, people have it. I, the first time I came to visit him, some guy had the Texas state like shaved into his head. Like, you know, I, not, not into his hair, not into his head. You know what I mean? His hair had a Texas like thing i saw a dog wearing a little texas shirt um, oh texas texas like you know there's great barbecue there's just so much culture here and also texans i think it's because the school system really teaches you guys history of your state in mm -hmm. washington state where i primarily grew up we get one semester of washington state history and it's in your senior year when you really aren't paying attention to anything <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, but I come hmm. down here and I'm always impressed by a couple things about Texans really impress me. They know, just generally speaking, no matter how well educated they consider themselves, they seem to know a lot more about their state. They seem to care. They'll say, I'm a native Texan. I never had anybody say that to me in other states. Um, well, you know, not Washington State, but not so much. And, right. uh, and they're also something about Texans. They are good storytellers and they can tell a good ghost story because uh, I could be researching that's how I ended up writing my book Paranormal Texas I was actually researching just quirky travel destinations because I used to do a lot of travel writing and write for um, like in-flight magazines and things like that and uh, so I would go and I'd go to these towns and I, I I like to go I have a few strategies I like to go um, you know look at the things on my list but I want to talk to locals so one thing I like to do is go to the hardware store and look for an old codger who's just kind of hanging out, holding up a counter <laughs> <laughs> or at, or at the, like the cafe, the guy who's not really, he's nursing that cup of coffee for two hours. But he looks like he lives there and just, mm -hmm. not, you know, sidle over and say, what, what don't people know about your town? What don't people get about this area? What do you, Oh boy, they're full of stories. These people. Mm -hmm. And, They'll start off with the tame stuff and then they'll be like, then they'll be like, did you hear about the haunted bridge? You know, and I'll be like, ah, 
yeah. So I ended up, uh, it doesn't apply to my story, but I ended up with this little folder on my computer that was just full of all these haunted places. And so I was like, you know, maybe there's a travel book in there. So you just started researching and writing about travel places in general, and then the the haunted stuff and the graveyard stuff just kind of became more and more interesting. And that's kind of how you got moved in that direction. Kind of, yeah. Well, for the for the okay, so I I would love cemeteries anyway because uh, I do a lot of historic research and. You know, old newspapers are full of typos, I got to tell you. And just Mm -hmm. people, it was like they're playing a game of telephone because, you know, they couldn't just fax over or whatever, email, whatever. I'm just trying to think there was not the technology. So Mm -hmm. if I want to figure out, if I figured, well, I could drive to the cemetery where he's buried and I could find out if he spelled it, you know, B-I-L-L-I-E or, you know, was it I-E or was it a Y? I could clarify. I'll just look at his headstone and try and pin it down. Um, So, yeah, that did kind of lure me that way. I was... I was a travel writer. I was always interested in the offbeat and overlooked side of it. And also the side of, you know, no matter where I lived when I I was living in Italy, when I first started doing travel writing, and there's a lot of amazing history there too, obviously. But here in America, I think a lot of people, I blame it on me growing up in a small town, actually, because when you grow up in a little podunk farming university town, like I did, um, your entertainment options are not handed to you. Um, I, I noticed this when I went away to college in Seattle. My friends hmm. had grown up in the city. It seemed like as soon as their allowance ran out, they were bored. I'm like, wow, I lived in a town where there's nothing to do. So my friends and I learned how to make fun, find fun. And part of that is really taking a look at where you live. Like my, my travel motto is that even home is a travel destination. Because no matter where you live in the world, it's exotic to somebody else. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, my dad retired in San Antonio, where when you hear the word, when you're San Antonio, Texas, what's the first thing you think about? Oh, Alamo and the Riverwalk. And the Riverwalk. And I started there in seventh grade, went through high school. So what is that? Five, six years, six years. I went, I was through school there and I never once went to either one of those places. And I went off to college and started meeting people from all over the Southwest and they wanted to come to San Antonio to see the Alamo. And I said, okay. And that's when I saw the Alamo. So you're absolutely right. People, we just, you know, it's always that we'll do that tomorrow. We'll do that tomorrow. And 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 tomorrow never comes. Exactly. I really, I I love what you're saying because I think people need to get out and explore their own areas because there is so much fascinating history everywhere, everywhere. In some places, you don't have to look that hard. Like Texas. That's why I say I used to write fiction, but then I moved to Texas and we have so many crazy stories. And the thing I love about writing about haunted places is that uh, it's history. I, like, if I find out, like that guy saying, to me you know did you hear about the haunted bridge and so I'll take notes it's haunted by Joe Blow you know whatever mm-hmm. I will go home and then I'll dig into newspaper archives and I will look and I'll see oh there was a suicide by a guy but his name was Jim Blow or whatever right and it was I'll get the right history to it and but I do lots of historic research so sometimes when people talk about my book Paranormal Texas and they'll um, the, I'll see it like placed on a, on a fiction shelf or referred to as fiction, like listed with some other fiction books. I laugh because I'm like, okay, whether or not you believe in ghosts, all the history in there. Oh, my cat. <laughs> she she, she made me jump. <laughs> oh my goodness. This is kind of her, 
one of her frenzied times a day, you know, how the cats do. Yeah. She, uh, but anyway, um, but I, I kind of, I'm like, no, this book is got so much historic research in it. And I actually have gotten uh, emails from different readers. One lady, she told me she took her nephews at spring break. She took them to several places in my book, Paranormal Texas. And she said, they went for the ghosts, but I was happy because they were learning history. And so right. it's kind of a fun way to, and it connects you to your region. So it's good to look into that stuff, learn about your town. And I don't think there's ever, we never need to be bored. And the other thing I wanted to say is, I think it's so important for us to unplug and just go out and have a nice outing. Yeah, because in, in this day and time when we're supposed to be social distancing, I bet you could do that at, at a graveyard or a cemetery. Yeah, that, <laughs> that, most of my outings actually have been to cemeteries. So, you know, people are like, why aren't you wearing a mask? I'm like, well, I was surrounded by people technically, but, you know. Um, <laughs> They're all six feet under. <laughs> exactly. Wasn't really too worried. <laughs> so, yeah. well, I'll give you an idea for your next book. Um, so take notes. Um, Last year, my son was a senior in high school, and we toured a bunch of different college campuses, and the ones that we remembered the most was when the tour guide would tell us about, you know, this dorm is haunted, or this history building, or architecture building is haunted, and it's like... and some of the myths and legends around the college campuses, they were really oh, yeah. kind of fun. Of course, yeah. you know, after that, I'd never live in that dorm, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. Um, that's a good theme. Yeah, there are a lot of, I mean, I grew up in a college town. So, yeah, there are a lot of haunted dorm stories. I don't know why that didn't dawn on me. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, just just dedicate the book to me or name your first child right. after me or something. I don't, <laughs> I don't ask go. for much. <laughs> Well, and and we used to travel too. You know, we went, we've been to Gettysburg and around the Atlanta area and all up and down the West Coast and through Central U.S. And there, this country is so full of history. And whenever we'd go someplace, you know, when my son got to a certain age, like about 14, and that stuff didn't scare him as much as it scared me. And so that was a double benefit to him <laughs> that we could go on these ghost tours. And for some reason I must have make her jump or she's scared on my forehead because at least once in every tour I did, I, I screamed out loud. So I'm a baby. I'm a wuss. That's funny. But, I, I, I am. I, I do have a pretty good startle thing. Like when I'm concentrating and I'm writing, you know, Larry just comes in, what do you want for dinner? I'm like, ah, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think that's an like, occupational hazard for you. I think so. I think so. But I, I've got to say, I for my book, I did go on several official paranormal investigations with, you know, teams who have equipment and like, you know, all the cameras and all the gizmos. And the first one I went on, I was so nervous beforehand because I thought I know how jumpy I can get. And I thought, oh, someone's going to touch my shoulder. I'm going to be screaming. And I drank a lot of caffeine too, because I wanted to stay awake all night. And, <laughs> and but you know, what is funny is I, uh, I'm with, you're with so many people. And uh, when, and when anything weird did happen and I did have some strange experiences, uh, I wasn't scared. I just got really curious. And I think it's because I had other people with me. So that was, that helped that helps yeah i've i've tried recently to watch some scary movies that i liked when i was in high school yeah i can't watch them at night by myself i can watch them during the daytime by myself so i've gotten old and i've become a scaredy cat too but that's a whole nother episode (laughs) oh my gosh i had a funny thing i'll just 
tell you real quick. Uh, you know that whole Annabelle, the haunted Raggedy Ann. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I was listening to a radio show about it, and I had just moved into a new apartment, and it was late. But you know, everyone had left. It's just me unpacking in my kitchen. You know, do, do, oh, I'll just listen to this terrifying show. And I was telling myself, see, I'm not scared. I can listen to this scary thing about a demonically possessed Raggedy Ann doll. Well, I go and I'm un- unpacking my stuff, and um, as I was walking by, every time I walked by my bookshelf, I would glance up, and there is. My mom made me a Raggedy Ann doll, which um, that was just like the story. And so she's sitting up on a bookshelf. My mom had also given me a, this is going to tie in, she'd given me a bread maker. So I turned it on. I thought, oh, I'll make bread. Oh, how cozy and domestic. See, I'm not scared. As I'm tell- Meanwhile, inside, I'm getting jumpier and jumpier. All of a sudden, I'm like walking by the Raggedy Ann doll. And for some reason, she just falls slightly, you know, fall. And they're, I'm still listening to the radio show. And they're like, and they said, and then they heard the sound of demons in the walls or something like that. And I heard this, <laughs> and I was like, Aah! I was just totally terrified. And oh, I had a knife in my hand at the time because I was putting it away. And I'm all like, Aah! and I was like, just stand there. It takes me like 30 seconds before I realize it was the bread maker turning on. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had to tell, I had to confess to myself that, all right, I'm not, you know, I'm not as, I don't have the nerves of steel that I'm pretending to have. I'm not as cool as I thought I was. <laughs> no, I was totally like, wow, wow. Yeah, my you family know. would have come home and found me dead on the floor. I would have just had a heart attack. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, <laughs> where, well, let me start. Where do you think, because you've had some really interesting experiences and found some really fascinating things let's start there in some cemeteries or graveyards what's one of the most interesting or fascinating things that you found associated with the one of these graveyard visits um well there's all sorts of things i mean here in texas we have a cemetery that uh at one had two oil wells on it it was hmm. it was considered the richest cemetery in America, and they had they had yeah so that's a funny one. But over in Jefferson, Texas, one of the strangest monuments I've ever seen, and you would walk right by it, you know, and not know what it is. Uh, it's these two um, poles, and there there's cast iron painted black, and there's a chain in between them, and that is where these two men are buried who were I like to call them East Texas frenemies. Because back mm. in the 1870s, they were such, you know, they were the most rough and tumble guys in town. And the local newspaper described them as dangerous men, either drunk or sober, something like that. And <laughs> because of this, yeah, nobody else would hang out with them. And they, they were both known to be murderers. One had like served time for it. The other one was like, they just knew it. And they had very dubious pasts. So by default, the only people they could, you know, well, I guess you, we have to be friends. And so they would hang out together just because no one else would hang out with them. Well, mm. one day, one of them invited the other to have some whiskey. You know, come on down. I'll buy you a whiskey. And he said, man, nah. the other one goes, no, thanks. It doesn't bring out the best in me. Whiskey doesn't. I don't think I'm going to drink anymore. And the other guy got so mad that, long story short, he killed him. But um, as he was killing him, the other guy shot and killed him. And they killed each other over this whole, like, no, I don't want to have whiskey with you thing. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it's rumored that they're their coffins are chained together but actually what they I I don't know because I don't have ground penetrating radar but they they, these two poles that go up and have a chain in between them it's the most unusual thing so the 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 um, cast iron rods they have ivy engraved on them each Hmm. one has ivy now that's important because as a symbol a cemetery symbol 
Ivy stands for friendship. And, and one thing I like to point out to people is that they don't, you know, when people come up with symbolism, it's not like they just randomly say, oh, Ivy's going to mean friendship. It's because Ivy clings to things. Uh -huh. So it's like a friend who sticks with you. And then the chain in between it. So it was the most unusual uh, monument I think I've ever seen. And I've actually been all over the place. And that's really one of the most unusual ones. So who put those posts in? Was it somebody with a sadistic sense of humor? Was it family or? I am not sure. I don't think it was family. I think they didn't really seem to have that. It seemed to be just the locals. And I, I don't know. I've hmm. talked to the local town historian there and I've dug around and I haven't been able to find much more about it other than what, you know, I've seen. I, I would love to learn more. If I do, I'll definitely put it in a YouTube video or, you know, my next book or something. That's interesting. So you brought up symbolism. Talk to us a little bit, because I know one of your books, you oh, yeah, talk about it. cemetery symbolism or symbolism on headstones, right? Yeah. So I've got... Um, Look at book. you, how professional. <laughs> there you go. It's called... Uh, uh, here, get glare off it if I can. It's called Understanding Cemetery Symbols, because that's what it's about. I just... I wanted a, a kind of a field guide so people could you know and, and I wanted this to fit in your purse or your glove box mm. um, and and it really made me happy one day this lady came she travels for work and she brought this up to an event I was at and said would you sign this and she goes I'm so embarrassed and it was all dog-eared and had like highlighter and like post-it notes and I'm like no you were who I had in my mind when I wrote it um, so yeah I wanted a book like this and I really couldn't find them I go to a lot of cemeteries. I picked up the meanings of certain symbols and I had a file full of them and I had notes that have been taken over many years. I always talk to groundskeepers when I get a chance and, and just, you know, I've done what I could to learn about this, but I couldn't find a nice little concise guide to take with me. So I thought, well, maybe no one else is going to care about this book, but I'm going to write it and we'll see. And, you know, this book still outsells all my other books. Um, wow. It's even, I've gotten emails from people and uh, tour guides, cemetery tour guides in England who use it. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So it's pretty, I'm glad I'm not the only one who uses it. <laughs> so the symbolism is applicable whether you're in Texas or anywhere in the country or the world? It's similar yeah. symbolism? Sure. I mean, you have to, with symbols, um, you have to keep in mind the context. So by context, I mean, where in the world are you? Which mm -hmm. country? Um, where in the cemetery are you? Are you in the Jewish section? Or are you in the Christian section? And also where, when in time is another context. Are you you're the headstone you're looking at? What era was that in? Because if you, when you look at headstones today, there, they, there still are some symbols you will see that people just kind of use out of habit. But um, we, uh, we've gotten really literal nowadays. It's interesting mm -hmm. because we have so many, we have so many like emojis and icons for things, but now we just go, you know, grandpa liked tractors. So I'm putting a tractor on his grave. Whereas, um, or what I like to say is, um, you know, squirrels, you know, Aunt Madge loved to feed squirrels. So I'll stick a squirrel on there. But mm -hmm. uh, in the language of symbols, a uh, squirrel holding an acorn stands for meditation and faith. Because, you know, from the hmm. tiny acorn comes the mighty oak. So right. that's the symbolism of an oak. But we kind of have forgotten that. I think that is something we've lost, in a way, lost touch with. I think that our ancestors, maybe 100 years ago when going back, had a, a better, were more well-versed in the idea of symbolism. 
So give us an example of one symbol that, you know, is old, has stand, has stood the test of time that you can, that people should maybe look out for when they go to cemeteries. Um, well, I mean, a, a dove for, you know, <laughs> for hope. Hope, <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I'm just trying to think of a good one. You, you had some, about? some, there are different hand symbols, aren't there? Do I remember reading yeah, about hands? Yeah, there are, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think of the ones you see in modern ones. You don't see the hands so much. But uh, if people are interested in this, I do invite them to go to my, my website, and you can download a, a free guide to the meaning of hands. Oh, cool. um, because but it's like if you see when you're in a historic cemetery, you see a hand pointing up, it means different than a hand pointing down. And then handshakes can mean different things. Um, a hand by the neck could mean like sacrifice. Uh, there's just different. They can mean, um, you know, if you're in a Jewish cemetery, you might get the Kohen hands that look mm. a lot like that. Um, Leonard Nimoy actually was inspired by them to create right. his character Spock. And so sometimes people see that. It, I, I like to use some of the emails I get like, does this, you know, they'll send me the Kohan hands. Did this mean they like Star Trek? I'm like, no, that's just cute. Um, uh, he died in the 1800s. Leonard Nimoy wasn't born yet. <laughs> I, exactly. I know. It's pretty funny. But Not many uh, <laughs> people remember or really understand that, you know, Spock's live long and prosper. He was Jewish and that was one of their hand symbols. And I, I, th- I thought that story was fascinating. Yeah, I think it's really neat. Yeah, the hands of Cohen. So, so mm-hmm. well, but um, and so you brought up your free guide on your website. Oh, yeah. So tell gonna, us again what the website is. Yeah, the website is just myname.com. So it's tuisnyder.com. And you can go there and it says free cemetery guide, I think, on it. Or if there will be a little pop-up if you sign up. It, when you get it, you are signing up for my newsletter, but you know, you can, I make it very easy to unsubscribe if all you want is the, uh, the guide. Um, but, but the your hands, newsletter is so much fun too. And you're not a spammer and you don't send me 16 things a week or a day. So I, I highly recommend that you sign up and, and get her newsletter. It, it really is good. I enjoy it. Oh, thank you. I really I know, do I, enjoy I, it. I said just do it once a month, but then people started saying, no, we liked it. So now I just do it every Sunday and I'm like, okay, that's just gonna, just gonna keep on doing it. And it's really fun. Um, I was surprised how many, because a lot of my books, I mean, the cemetery symbol one really you can use all around the world, but the, you know, a lot of them are very Texan centric. And I was surprised how many people on my newsletter are from other states. I get you know, Maine, Maryland, New Hampshire, um, England. <laughs> My first wow. uh, like reader fan mail actually came from a street magician who lives in Paris and he's hmm. fascinated. Texas is a pretty fascinating place. And he was fascinated by the wild west and, hmm. and the weird, in the weird wild west. He wanted weird stories of the wild west. So it, it's kind of interesting. Well, and so listeners, the understanding cemetery symbols, I mean, we got the holidays right around the corner. It may be a great gift to give to a family or people who like to travel because, like I said, I was being just a smart aleck earlier. Little did I know that it actually does kind of make sense if we're social distancing and we can't go in la- large crowds. Maybe this picking up this historic book on cemeteries and cemetery symbols is the way to get out and get some fresh air and learn something new. I think that's a great idea. It's a fun fam- fun way for families to get out and enjoy the outdoors because, uh, and also, you know, a lot of genealogists really like that book. So I, you know, I hadn't thought of that when I was making it. I didn't know. I just was, didn't know who was going to be interested in it. I also, I have this graveyard journal 
that a lot of genealogists like. It's and it's it's a, like has cemetery etiquette in it, but then um, genealogists like to keep track of where they went. So I have space in there to put you know which burial grounds you went to, what you saw, any notes. And I, much to my surprise, I hmm. I didn't think anyone was going to buy that. And people actually do. I was like, okay, I'm glad it wasn't just me. I just made it. That's I cool. just made that for fun because you know how writers are. We love notebooks. I'm like, ooh, I want to mm-hmm. make a notebook. I don't know if anyone else is going to like taking notes as much as I do, but right. it's just one of those funny things. <laughs> well, and I think sometimes writers miss those opportunities to have companions to some of their books. Um, my first book, Face Forward, Move Forward, I wrote six journals on oh, different really? themes from that book. And I did the same thing you did. Somebody asked me about, you know, one of my topics in the book, and we started looking at quotes. So I created that journal. And then oh, before cool. I knew it, six more came out. And they've been great sellers because they're inexpensive. They're great gift ideas. But I just followed my heart and did something that I loved. And it turns out, well, I'm I'm not as crazy as I thought. Other people like that stuff too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That has been really interesting because uh, prior to releasing the Understanding Cemetery Symbols book, you know, I didn't know that many people who enjoyed cemeteries as much as I do. And I get emails from people saying, finally, someone else, you know, my family doesn't get me. They don't know why I like to roam these cemeteries. And so I try to, uh, like uh, in my books, I kind of try to explain the appeal because people can't always explain it to others. So I, like an epiphany I had was that uh, cemeteries are for the living. I say that a lot and people are like, what? When I give talks and I'm saying, yeah, because, you know, we don't really know what happens after we pass away. But the cemetery is there to provide you comfort, to provide you nature. You know, a lot of cemeteries that were created in the 1800s, um, garden cemeteries, there are ones Mm. that have have achieved arboretum status. And so when I go to cemeteries, I recently downloaded this really cool app. And now I can scan and find out what the different plants are. But they used to encourage Mm. if you had um, bought a a plot uh, back in the 1800s, there I've seen some of these guides, they would, uh, as part of your purchase, they would give you a guide to planting your plot. Because people treated it the way we treat our yards. You know, everyone has their yard and they want to landscape their yard. They'd be like, oh, here's an idea. And they would, the whole pamphlet would be about nice things you could plant. So if you Hmm. want, you know, if you're in a cemetery and you see a rose and an old um, cemetery plot, run over and smell it. It might be one of those old world roses that has a smell. Hmm. So, you know, it's really you can find a lot of interesting things like that, not just uh, monuments, but if you are interested in plants at all, they're really wonderful. Of course, the sculptures and things, I, I say that cemeteries are open air museums for that reason. So. Absolutely. Cause there's, and there's so much history there. So, you know, you're, t- we're talking about the fascination with history and art and, you know, plants and the fresh air. And so we got that perspective of graveyards and cemeteries. So, how do you think or why do you think that people, when they hear graveyards or cemeteries this time of year, it usually comes with the background music of, ooh, why? where did that come from? I have a couple ideas on this. Um, one of them, I think, is, you know, obviously the association with death. And I think uh, that in, in cities, a lot of, you know, if you're walking down this, the street at night and you pass by a a graveyard at night it can seem creepy I get that I don't go to cemeteries and burial grounds at night um, 
That's good to know. I was going to ask you that question. So that's good to know. I feel better now. There are a couple exceptions. I did go to one because it allegedly had a a glowing tombstone. And Hmm. so I never saw it glow. I was bummed out. So whatever. But um, but generally speaking, I don't want to walk around. I want to see stuff. And, and, you know, a couple times I've had to give tours at night because of the way it worked out. And it started getting dark. But that's not my favorite time to visit a cemetery. I know people have this connotation. They've really gotten that way. Now, my big theory for this, it has to do with the Great Depression. Because Hmm. up until the Great Depression, whether you lived in a big urban area or a, a little rural area, you, uh, we, most families just kind of stayed in the same area. And so there would be an annual decoration day or homecoming, they call it. They have a lot of different names for it. In the springtime when everyone has flowers growing because you couldn't always go to a florist. I mean, that's why Memorial Day is when it's, you know, is. They don't have Mm -hmm. Memorial Day this time of year because, you know, no one, there's not as many flowers blooming. But, um, People would make a big day of cleaning up the cemetery, tending the plot, dressing in nice clothes, you know, to see and be seen, have a bunch of food, singing hymns. It was kids would run around and play. So it was kind of a a joyous celebration for the community. Mm -hmm. All right. So then the the Great Depression comes along. People have to move away and they can't maintain the plots the same way as they could. And uh, so then we got the kind of cemeteries that we pretty much, you know, most um, for-profit cemeteries that we have now that are just, a lot of them are just big expanses of lawn with flat markers and they won't let you grow things at your plot and they just want to be able to mow right over it. And they have, you know, the rules vary from cemetery to cemetery. And there's some beautiful, some modern cemeteries are really quite beautiful. There's one in my town that's really gorgeous. But um, I think the problem, so people just became less and less uh, visiting the cemetery became less and less a part of your social life. You know, it used to be a social thing. Uh, actually, America's first public parks were the garden cemeteries. Oh, wow. That's all another story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but eventually they started making, oh, people like to go out in the fresh air. But yeah, it was uh, people would set up easels and people would wear their nice, you know, oh, well, it's Saturday. Let's go out to the cemetery and meander around and admire the artwork and see who else is here. What are they wearing? Oh, look. We can shoot game. We can, you know, do things like that. So, hmm. but after the, the Great Depression and kind of extending up till now, it, uh, most people don't go to a cemetery un- unless they're attending a funeral or, you know, it's their funeral. I mean, so, <laughs> I mean, you know, hey, you know, so, so those really aren't happy times. You don't have happy associations. And it gets to the point where people don't know what to do with themselves. They feel really awkward. I was comparing it to being mm-hmm. like on a first date with suddenly you're like, how do I sit? You know, what yeah. do I do? It? What do I do with my hands? Yeah. Um, people kind of have this. So I like to do That's One reason I have the YouTube channel where I sh- walk around bit, um, cemeteries. And that's one reason I write these books is I, I want people to uh, rediscover these open air museums, the fun that's there to be had. Um, you know, I shocked some people once I, I was with them when we were in a cemetery and I sat down on a bench and they're like, Tui, you know, isn't that disrespectful? I'm like, no, the bench is made to be sat on. And that is, it goes back, it's an ancient thing. The ancient Greeks had benches. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, in a cemetery, that's pretty much the main seating you see are benches. Mm-hmm. And even today, there are memorial benches. But uh, that's just a long-standing tradition. And as long as it's not precarious, I mean, always be careful. There are things, there are, you know, treacherous things. You could twist an ankle or a monument could fall on you in these old mm-hmm. ones. 
but um but it's not disrespectful so i think that's that's my theory i don't know but that's what that's my theory right well and i think that's interesting too because if people had been used to tending the grave sites and making them pretty and planting and and maintaining them so that the grave sites were beautiful things and then with the depression you know maybe they couldn't afford that any longer or like you said they had to move out to find work or whatever and maybe part of that may be some guilt of having to leave that loved one behind I don't know I I think that's kind of interesting yeah hmm, hmm. I'm gonna ponder that I really just think it got out of the the public's habit yeah. And then and then the scary connotations took over. The scary connotations had always been there, but you know, kind of everyone likes a good scare. You know, you're out camping and you put the flashlight on your neck. You know, everybody wants a little bit of that, but it's kind of the uh, pleasant associations were no longer there. So if all you had were the negative associations and that's kind of what remains. And then of course Hollywood, you know, does it. Oh yeah. Job. Well, yeah. So I'm going to ask you a question. So do you know when the first horror movie was made? No, I don't. I'm not a horror movie buff. Well, I was just, you know, I was wanting to compare and contrast, you know, the horror stuff with the history and the beauty and stuff. It was like 1893 or something like that. I'll have to try and find it. It's called The House of the Devil in 1896. Wow. And you can actually find that on YouTube. And it, you know, it's kind of like when my teenage boys sit down with me to watch a movie that I loved when I was growing up. And, you know, the technology has changed so much. So in the last 130 something years, the technology has changed so much. But if people want to see that very first horror movie, it's called The House of the Devil. And it's on YouTube. And you will actually get to see the magic of cinema from that era where a bat turns into a man. It's kind of fascinating. Cool. That sounds really neat. Um, I just like watching old, you know, vintage kind of horror that's not really going to be splattery or overly. I, yeah. I, like, I like suspense and things like that. But I was going to say, you know, they did, there was a tradition of telling ghost stories at Christmas time hmm. for many years. That's why, you know, Charles Dickens, he includes ghosts in the Christmas carol. He, huh. But uh, that was actually, there's one of the Christmas carols that you hear where they're like, We'll tell scary ghost stories and da 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 da. da. Oh, I can't remember oh, that. That's right. They do say that, and the reason they say that is because that was a thing. I don't know when that quit being a thing, though. So I was trying to figure that out. I, I think it was around the twenties or thirties, but I, I might have been earlier. I don't know. That's interesting. I had never. I mean, I'd never <laughs> questioned the lyrics in that song, but now that you ma- mention it, that's. That's kind of interesting. I'll have to yeah. go back and look at that whole song, find it, because right yeah. now the name of the song escapes me. <laughs> so maybe one of our listeners will, will chime in and tell us what, the, what song that is. But I want to talk a little bit about your book, um, Grave Goods, The Meaning of Stones, Coins, Seashells, and Other Items in Historic Cemeteries, because I want to <laughs> I want to start by telling you an embarrassing story about myself. Oh. So... <laughs> I have I went. lots of those. <laughs> Not about you, but about me. It was clear. I was going to say, we've <laughs> known each other too long. <laughs> well, I went on this great um, tour in Israel. Oh, wow. And, you know, we had seen, you know, the Holocaust Museum. And so that morning had been a morning of really down, really heartfelt tragedy mm-hmm. and things. And then we went to a grave site and we're standing we're standing there and we're looking at the grave boxes and there's these stones. I mean, just piles of stones on these grave boxes. And I am just incensed. It's like, 
how rude for people to come out here and throw stones at these these grave boxes. I mean, don't they understand family members are there and blah, blah, blah. And like I said, you know, imagining what those stones meant from my perspective yeah. was vandalism. Sure. <laughs> and, you know, just before I was about to jump the fence and clean off all of the grave sites, the tour guide, I said, why would people deface the graves like this? And he goes, what are you talking about? I said, look at all those stones. And some people, I mean, they're, it's, I mean, were they not liked? I mean, they're just covered with stones. And he just starts laughing at me, of course. And he says, no, that the stones are when family members or friends come to visit, they leave a stone on the grave box so that, you know, it's, it's a, a sign that they were loved. So the more rocks meant more family and more friends went to visit the bigger rocks meant that that was a closer family relationship who had come to visit that dead so yeah so I was you know I stopped just like just inches from jumping a fence and getting arrested and really embarrassing myself I just embarrassed myself in front of one person at that time (laughs) now the whole world knows that I'm an idiot but that's beside the point um so yeah so you have to be very careful when you travel to other countries that we we don't take our our meanings of symbolism with us and do something that's dangerous or illegal. Um, what say you, Tui Snyder? <laughs> I was just going to say that, yeah, in Jewish cemeteries, that's the only form of grave good you're going to see. So here, I went to Fort Worth recently, and in the, the Jewish section, that you, all you see are stones on top of the graves. and that um, But you will see them in, in Christian um, cemeteries as well. You'll see them in but um, in other, it, it really, grave goods, I should say, are the items that people leave at a grave site uh, when they come to visit and for whatever reason. And they do vary from culture to culture. There have been um, some earlier Americans in certain rural areas. Uh, they actually had uh, what would look like garbage to other people and they would get upset because they would do things like break the last thing that the person had used before they died. So they were drinking a teacup, break that teacup and put it on. That was a tradition. So when you walk through that cemetery, if you're not familiar with that tradition to you, it might look like garbage. And then getting back to the, uh, the rocks. Yeah. That goes back to Genesis chapter 13 um, and where there's a Jacob's league, leaving us he builds a pillar to honor Rachel and so when you are leaving that stone you're symbolically building a, a pillar in your loved one's memory so that is part of how that goes so um but there are um here in America there's a lot of different cultures that can clash and people what pe- one person can perceive as garbage like a bro an empty beer can that's been crushed and left there that can be a grave good, depending on your beliefs. So I ended up writing this book. It was kind of right at the start of the whole COVID thing. And I just, I had all these notes and I, I do have a chapter about grave goods and understanding cemetery symbols, but I wanted to expand on it because I do get a lot of sometimes even angry emails from people who are upset by seeing toys on a child's grave or a doll. And I'm like, well, you know, and that's a very common one. I, a lot of cultures do that and i mm-hmm. and there are some cemeteries where and even historic ones like the people will go it was kind of interesting i had a a picture of a uh, a gravestone an italian immigrant's gravestone in thurber texas which is a ghost town by the way mm. nobody's living there 
but they have a beautiful historic cemetery. I love it because it was such an interesting town. People came from 18 different countries. The, the local priests like could, could hear confession in you know, several different languages. And so when you are looking at these headstones, they have different, you know, you see a lot of different cultural, like I like to see how they say rest in peace in different you know, mm -hmm. um, languages. But there was a doll there and it, it was a bit weather beaten, but it really couldn't have been left by, you know, the people in Thurber died. The most recent death is, you know, a good 80 years ago, roughly. Hmm. So I, I, but I put this picture of this doll on my website and the, the man who left it and his daughter both left comments and explained like, wow, it looks kind of, what I think the man said, wow, it looks kind of creepy now, but my <laughs> wife left that doll and she just felt sorry for that little girl because it says Pia, which means you know, daughter in Italian, and she, I, she just had a doll with her. So, I mean, you, you know, something that's heartfelt uh, by one person as you walk by can be perceived as garbage or disrespectful. So that's why I did write this book. Um, I wanted to help clarify that. I, I do get a lot of questions about grave goods. Yeah, that's interesting. So why would somebody leave a seashell on a oh, gravestone? A seashell, oh my goodness. Yeah, that one, well, uh, it depends on the kind of seashell, and it depends on where you are. Once again, it is someone who's come and visited you. The sim it's a symbol of eternity because, you know, the, the um, spiral seashell. Um, a conch shell, generally, I'll see those even here in North Texas. I'll see a conch shell, and that's when, a, you know, a person has visited, a kinfolk has come and visited. Um, hmm. but there, yeah, that is one that I'm still exploring because there are these graves that I see that are mounded and are covered with actually mussel shells. I thought they were clam shells at first because I grew up hmm. on the West Coast. And they look like mussel shells to me. And that's a whole big, yeah, thing we could fall down to. But Interesting. <laughs> it's pretty fascinating. It really is. <laughs> that is fascinating. So um, before we go much further, tell us again, I want to tell everybody they can buy all of your books on Amazon.com, right? Okay. Yes. And it's Tui Snyder, T-U-I-S-N-I-D-E-R, right? That is correct. Don't, don't put a Y in there. I don't know. You might still find me, but <laughs> yes. got, yeah, here's some of my books. If anyone wants to see it. Oh, okay. Six Feet Under. That's your re most recent one, yeah, right? Six Feet Under Texas just came out. That one's been a lot of fun. This yeah. is sto stories, you know, the history behind it. So if you want to travel to different cemeteries and I do I, travel writer and me can't help, but um, explain, like I do give addresses and I have a little Texas map with a, you know, a little thing that kind of tells you where in Texas each thing is like, um, but I, you know, they're just as fun for armchair travel as well. <laughs> so, well, and you know, however you want to do it. Well, and I'm I'm a new empty nester, so we're oh. you know, my husband and I are trying to you know reconnect after all the years of mayhem with raising <laughs> boys. And oh, boy. so I'm going to give him this book for Christmas so that we can start traveling and having a reason to go do something. So I suggest other people look at your books and um, think about Christmas gifts. Yeah, I, but... I think that's a great idea. I mean, I'm inspired. As soon as we get done here, I'm going to go buy that book. But. Um, <laughs> I want to, you know, we've got just about four minutes left and I, oh. I want to talk to you a little bit because, you know, I'm a book writing business coach and I help people write nonfiction books, which your books are nonfiction. And I get people who tell me all the time, it's too hard. I don't do it. I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. I'm afraid of what people might think about me or say about me. Now, I know a little bit about your story and the people who've met you here today um, we'll see how successful you've done and how many books you've written, but it wasn't always that way for you, was it? 
oh no, oh goodness. <laughs> wow, I don't even know where to begin. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I had an editor just flat out tell me no one would want to read. My very first book was Unexpected Texas, which was just all the, all the places that I had pitched to magazines that they, you know, interesting, it's this one. And it's just quirky, offbeat and overlooked places here in pretty much the DFW area. And, um, but I had, you know, was flat out turned down by an editor that I talked to who just rolled her eyes at me and just told me it was a really stupid idea. But when I started blogging about it, people loved it. And I got comments from people saying, I'm a native Texan. I never heard of this place. So I just thought, you know, what do I have to lose? I, I would say if, it, if I pick a topic you're passionate about, I mean, I can talk about cemetery symbols and quirky stories and all day long. And that's my idea of fun. I mean, if, if it's not your idea of fun, then don't do it. <laughs> Life's too right. short for that. But um, if you feel passionate about it, as I do, then uh, then just go for it. I, I guess I, yeah, I don't know. And what what other problems do they have? I, I Organizing research can be kind of a bugaboo. I'm constantly changing how I do that. But, you know, oh, well, that's fun. I love doing research. Yeah, so, and that's so part of the process. Fun. So I think uh, the main thing I want people to hear from you is that, you know, and I believe this because I meet people who want to write for their target market and that's great to a certain extent, but if you're writing for other people and you are not passionate about what you write, I think readers can feel that. Do you think yeah. so? Oh, I think so too. And I, it, I just had a book blog tour with Lone Star Literary Life and a lot of the book bloggers said that uh, my books were like, they felt like they were having a conversation with me. They were learning history, but it wasn't in any sort of boring manner. And like history was my least favorite subject in school. So I was really happy. I don't write these books to be some hefty tome or some, I'm not trying to tell people how smart I am. I just, I will read really boring stuff and try to find the fun bits out of it. I will slog through some really boring, you know, research and then try to make it into like, I was writing my friend, my good buddy. And when I do get stuck, I have one very specific friend I think of, and I pretend I'm writing him a, an email and because uh, we, we've known each other forever. And if I can write it to him, then it comes out, my voice doesn't get all stilted. But if I get right. nervous, like, oh, I think a professor might be reading this, then my paragraph gets all stilted. I want my books to be fun. I want right. them to, I, you know, yeah. Yeah, so you're you're writing what you love and what you're passionate about, but you can think, okay, am I writing this for the professor or am I writing it for somebody who's out on an afternoon drive and wants to learn something and do something fun? And so that way, you know, there's a that balance. So I think mm -hmm. that's great that I want people who who want to write a book to hear from you. You know, but the other thing is is since this program is mindset meets mastery, you know, you could have picked up the mindset from that editor that I should stop now, I shouldn't do this I'm not good enough all of those things I hear from other people that shut them down that becomes the primary voice in their head but you overcame that how did you master that self-talk or not take that in so it stopped you I actually had a lot of um, creative bullies and that's one reason I didn't write for a long time and uh, I thought I didn't have any talent or whatever. But what uh, helped me actually was feedback from the internet. I started blogging. That's how I got my first travel job. Um, editor said, hey, I like your voice. Would you write for us? And it went from there. So for me, I know a lot of people say they're cyberbullying, and I'm fully aware there is. And I know historians, you know, I mean, there are people who can put snarky comments to anything. But right. there's also a lot of really wonderful champions. Find your champions, listen to them. I actually have a file where I, I cut and paste things that uh, people have said they're encouraging. And I read that to get myself back on track. 
uh, you know, some of those reviews where people say, I felt like I was a, a friend, I've got all this or that. And I just, I do actually, when I'm having a down day, I will read those and it makes me go, yeah, that's right. That's why I do that. There's somebody out, some people like my stuff and I'm, I'm out, I'm doing this for them. Yeah, because as human beings, we can, you know, this is what I call the darn the humanity moment where you can have a 99 out of 100 people who love you, but we spend that the rest of the time on that one person who doesn't, instead of just appreciating the 99 that do. It's okay. Let that one person go find their other people and you stay with your people. That's and, my remember, and remember that those one star reviews that happen, that's actually kind of a sign of success. It's a good thing. If enough people like you that some people start to dislike you, that's a good thing. I, I read some yeah. interview with an author a while ago where she was saying um, she was in tears over her first negative review and her husband, who was really <laughs> better known than her, was like, oh, honey, awesome. This is so great. You know what this means? If people start to dislike you, then you're getting out there. You know, I'm like, she's like, what? So yeah. I, that is a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it is a good thing. And so, you know, I can't believe we're out of time already. I have so much enjoyed this time together, Tui. And um, I love your writing. I love your books. And like I said, I can't wait to go buy them and start using them as Christmas gifts. So thank you, thank you, thank you for the gift of your writing, first of all, but also for the gift of your time today with me on Mindset Meets Mastery. Thanks so much for having me on. And I hope my books take you a few fun places. Uh, yeah, I will be in touch. So get a hold of Tui Snyder, T-U-I-S-N-I-D-E-R.com and go to Amazon.com and get her books. So I'm going to leave you with this. Next time, or until next time, be mindful of the stories that you tell yourself about what is or is not possible for you. Don't let anyone else dictate your story. Only you have the power to determine how you're going to master your success. And when you're ready to write your book, contact me, Arlene Gale, at bookwritingbusiness.com. Thank you for joining Mindset Meets Mastery with Arlene Gale the expert in helping people write business-building books. Join us every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time on BBS Radio when we'll talk more about how mindsets help or hinder success mastery. Please visit bookwritingbusiness.com to get more information on writing your professional or personal story.